Subsurface areas such as basements are hidden harbors for silent and toxic intrusion of vapors that can lead to detrimental health effects. The Environmental Protection Agency has always had an interest in vapor intrusion, but now, rousing recent interest, the agency has made a stark move. It is proposed to add vapor intrusion as a qualifier for priority sites under Superfund, or the Comprehensive Environmental Response Compensation and Liability Act, otherwise known as CERCLA, which will greatly impact those businesses found responsible for contamination. Today, we explore the recent EPA proposal to add vapor intrusion to the nation's most serious contamination law, Superfund. On this episode, Silent and Toxic Plumes, we speak with attorney and environmental expert Stan Milan with the law firm Jones Walker in New Orleans about EPA's recent stirrings in vapor intrusion. Mr. Milan is a regular here on EHS on Tap because of his expertise in environmental law for over 40 years. He also teaches environmental law at Tulane and Loyola University. Welcome back to the program, Stan. Thanks. Good to be here. So today we're going to talk about something that seems almost like an episode from the Twilight Zone. We're going to focus on vapor intrusion and the seriousness of the silent and potentially harmful threat. My first question for you, Stan, is to introduce the topic of vapor intrusion and why we should be concerned about this. Well, vapor intrusion is not really like John Carpenter's horror movie, The Fog, although some people wish it was only a movie. It's not a movie. Um, Vapor intrusion refers to the migration of hazardous vapors from any contaminated soil or groundwater. Uh, Basically, groundwater is the conduit under the soils that volatile organic compounds can migrate through then go up the soils in the capillary zone and then up further through the vados zone, which is the driest soil right below the slabs. So these vapors can enter buildings through cracks and basements and foundations and through other conduits and openings and buildings. Uh, Vapors can also enter structures that are not intended for human occupancy like sewers and drain lines and pump houses. All types of buildings, regardless of foundations, have openings that render them potentially vulnerable to vapor intrusion. Uh, These include residential buildings like single-family homes, mobile homes, multi-unit apartments, condominiums, and commercial workplaces like offices, retail establishments, and educational and recreational buildings like schools and gyms and industrial facilities like like manufacturing plants. Okay, so there could potentially be a harmful vapor lurking beneath the surface, which may seep into any basement or subsurface area, which is obviously a concern, um, should be a concern for anybody that is working or has a uh, basement in their home or is, like I said, working in, a, in an area with a, a basement. So why is this all of a sudden such a hot-button issue? Aren't there um, environmental or health regulations that um, are already address this? Well, there are some, but what what makes it a hot-button issue right now is on February 29th of 2016 of some five years of uh, outreach, the 
EPA is proposing to add vapor intrusion, and they call it something different, subsurface intrusion, as a pathway to consider enlisting a contaminated site as one of the most serious contaminated sites in the nation on their national priority list, or NPL. That's the CERCLA statute you talked about. And for those who want to read it, it's uh, that proposed rule is published at 81 Federal Register, starting at page 10372. Uh, but now there are other existing laws that relate to indoor air pollution and vapor intrusion some. Uh, the Occupational Safety and Health Act, uh, protecting worker safety, does protect workers from a number of toxic chemicals uh, in the workplace. Uh, another statute is the one we've mentioned is CERCLA, and we'll be discussing that more. Uh, a, 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 another statute is the Resource Conservation Recovery Act, which has a citizen suit provision allowing citizens to sue for uh, vapor intrusion, uh, and there have been some cases about residential vapor endangerment by shopping centers, which had dry cleaners, et cetera. And, of course, there are state laws on underground storage tanks, which are relate to the same thing. And of course, there's common law or state law on torts that award damages for indoor air pollution caused by a uh, facility. Now, vapor intrusion is not the same as indoor air pollution from a building or its structures uh, itself, like, like asbestos from a workplace, that's inside manufacturing, or it was, and in buildings. Fumes from carpets, radon from building materials and foundations, and formaldehyde from, well, people think of FEMA trailers. Th those are indoor air pollutants caused by the workplace itself or the structure people live or work in. We're talking about vapors migrating from contamination around the area through soils and uh, groundwater. So EPA has stirred the national interest by adding to its cleanup arsenal uh, subsurface intrusion, SSI they call it, which is their acronym for vapor intrusion. And that's from soils, groundwater, and floods. And when I say floods, uh, we are concerned now that the nation has had various extreme flood events uh, from storms, a uh, recent one in Louisiana, and uh, the storms don't, and flooding don't cause pollution, but if the soils and groundwater underneath the buildings that are flooded right. are affected by floods, that, that, that contamination can spread in vapors. Now, many consultants lack a consensus on the seriousness of the threat and the need for increased compliance costs. But uh, EPA's proposal is overwhelming that, I think. Uh, some local interests have feared the creation of hidden urban mini gas chambers from vapor intrusion. So all this comes to a head. It's not brand new, but the, the EPA proposal brings it all to a head, uh, to a limelight, and, and, and that will increase over time. Right. So you you briefly touched on um, EPA's recent proposal in February of this year, but we have not really focused on what these toxic vapor intrusion um, plumes 
actually are. I was wondering if you could get into some of the um, common contaminants or um, uh, that can be considered, what I like to say, um, intruders, so to speak. Well, there, there are several common vapor intrusions, chemicals or contaminants. Uh, the, the most notorious are trichloroethylene, which is a industrial degreaser used for cleaning raw materials, mm-hmm. and, and that's abbreviated as TCE. And then there's tetrachloroethane, which is a chemical used by dry cleaners, and that's abbreviated PCE. Then when those the TCEs and PCEs of the world get into gra- uh, soils and groundwater from haphazard handling of, uh, uh, of disposing of solvents, uh, uh, they break down in time to other products like daughters called vinyl, uh, vinyl chloride, etc. Mm-hmm. Then, in addition to that, we have from petroleum products, gasoline, benzene, toluene, ethyl benzene, and xylene, and that's abbreviated BTEX, BTEX, and that mm-hmm. comes from petroleum products. And uh, so we, we're talking mainly about industrial degreasing, dry cleaning, and underground storage tanks. Now, that's not all. Some people have expressed concern about landfill gases, and that's methane and hydrogen sulfide. And uh, there are some pesticides that are volatile, like aldrin, which, and these are problematic. So you have a, a host of chemicals that can, uh, are volatile. That's the key and they can travel because they're small molecules underground and cause vapor intrusion into buildings. Okay, so you mentioned a couple of these, the notorious you know, dry cleaner um, leaking underground storage tanks, um, perhaps even landfills can lead to these contaminants entering our environment and possibly seeping up through cracks in the ground and into basement or subsurface areas. So how are these contaminants harmful to us as humans? Well, of course, the sources, the landfills and dry cleaners don't have to be right next to the building. Uh, they can, uh, the gases and volatiles can migrate some distance toward other buildings that are not immediately adjacent to the uh, uh, right. Sources, but uh, studies have shown health concerns, and uh, they include respiratory dizziness, nausea, nerve damage, arrhythmia, cancer, and so forth related to these uh, volatiles. Uh, some people may remember the book, and then a movie with John Travolta, mm-hmm. a civil action, which illustrated that residents of Woburn. Massachusetts became exposed to solvent fumes from their shower, from their showers and faucets because yeah. the groundwater was contaminated by chemical plants like Riley tanning and migrated into, from the aquifer into the sources of their water and they got cancer from the exposure and their children did too. Uh, EPA Region 9 released guidance in 2014 to highlight the need to safeguard pregnant mothers from TCE exposure. Uh, EPA pointed to a 2011 toxicity assessment which found that women in the first 
trimester pregnancy are one of the most sensitive populations to TCE inhalation exposure. Uh, uh, fetal cardiac malformation, a specific developmental effect, occurs in approximately three-week periods in the first trimester of pregnancy. Well, soon after EPA released uh, its information, Magnolia Elementary School in California shut down in 2015 due to perceived vapor intrusion risk. And then a class action lawsuit in California followed a TCE plume being exposed, which was in the vicinity of a former aerospace manufacturing plant. School officials similarly shut down in 2016 in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and in Massachusetts. Some states like New York, Connecticut, and Massachusetts have also moved forward with their own concerns about TCE and vapor intrusion. Uh, states have shut down sites due to excessive contamination. And now the Massachusetts Department of Environmental Protection is, is about to revisit the reopening of approximately 200 contaminated sites that were closed mm -hmm. wow. from contamination, but uh, they may need more work now. Many states, about 33, so not all, also have their own patchwork uh, guidance or approach for dealing with vapor intrusion. So we have a lot going on with EPA's new proposal, perhaps being the leader. Right. Yeah. So EPA leads, and then you know some of the states have their own, uh, you know, stringent requirements for uh, vapor intrusion. Um, I definitely remember the a civil action movie with John Travolta. Um, uh, growing up and going to environmental law school. So uh, definitely a, a, a relevant movie for this topic today. Um, another follow-up question that I want to ask you, Stan, is you just spoke of several instances um, where vapor, vapor has migrated off-site and, and caused some contamination in another area. Um, and this is happening from the West Coast to the East Coast. Um, we, we know that we should care about these types of um, environmental contamination or vapor plumes, um, but how would a person even know if there is a potentially harm, harmful vapor seeping into their basement or subsurface area? Can you, can you smell the uh, contaminants? Can you see them? Uh, maybe you could offer a little bit more insight on how someone would go about even knowing if there was um, a plume entering their basement. No, I don't think you can see them because it's small molecules. Uh, you, some of them you can't smell, or if you did, you might become sensitive to the, uh, insensitive to the smell. Uh, so uh, it's sort of an invisible, creeping unknown. Uh, and you're getting into geotechnology, really, but uh, I guess I should mention vapor intrusion pathways are complex. Surface vapors move like a fog through paths of least resistance. And, and the, these small molecules can move a, a fairly good distance from areas of high to lower concentrations and from areas of high to lower pressure. Soils, moisture, chemical composition, and subsurface oxygen all affect migration differently. Generally, uh, volatiles migrate slowest in sandy, dry soils. 
and volatiles, particularly petroleum products, move faster in moist, oxygen-rich clay. Uh, so far, the EPA and private industries seem to rely on passive sampling. That means the sampling is not aggressive, as I will explain. And the samplings of air, groundwater, soil, and slabs, and the threat is modeled after that. But I think the, the first key is that if you can't rely on your vision and your, and your smell, uh, if you're near a source like a, a gas station or there's some history that shows the area near where you work or live had, an, had or has an industrial activity like a gas station, a dry cleaners or the like, uh, that might be an initial cause uh, for concern. If there's nothing anywhere near you, uh, and there's no history of anything, then hopefully there's nothing there, but it, it wouldn't be detected, obviously, without uh, random sampling. But the normal approach involves canister sampling and lab analysis. And, um, uh, but these technologies fail to effectively diagnose short-term risks, contamination spikes, and variability. Right. These past measures are not continuous monitoring plans. They're not precise, and that's, that's mm -hmm. the problem with them. Now, now, some developers are spearheading sensor innovation and other technology, such as user-friendly continuous monitoring mobile devices that can detect parts per million, and, and these devices are not too expensive, around $1,000. Mm -hmm. But another blazer is a fusion of traditional gas instruments with more precise, customized data intake capacity and analysis, but the, these devices are a bit larger and earn the tens of thousands of dollars. So uh, history of the area is, is probably the most important first step as to whether you might have a vapor intrusion problem because you can't really rely on your eyes and right. your, your nose is not your senses, that reliable. Yeah. Right, so kind of knowing the history of your, uh, the surroundings is, is key. Um, so now that we kind of know a little bit more about um, the history and the surroundings component, as well as the technology to actually monitor or detect these vapor plumes, I want to circle back to where we kind of were at the beginning and get what it means um, for EPA's proposal to include vapor intrusion as a, uh, a pathway. Um, briefly, Stan, could you tell us um, about why this move by the EPA is important? Is there uh, maybe perhaps an estimate of how many sites that could be added if the EPA moves forward and finalizes this rule? Uh, well, yes, and I, I'll save the last question of, of that, that series for last. Uh, and okay. I'll start off with just going a little bit into the context of the EPA proposal. Well, the National Priority List, or the NPL, is part of the National Contingency Plan, and, and that, that's, that's the blueprint for federal cleanups. And if anyone wants to look it up, it's at 40 CFR Code of Federal Regula Regulations, Part 300. Uh, and that deals with uh, Superfund or surplus sites. And there are two types of those. One is uh, emergency type action subject to short-term removal. That is, EPA puts out a fire, removes drums, removes topsoil. 
uh, uh, subject to limited federal funding. Uh, the other is a more contaminated site that requires long-term action like groundwater, monitoring and remediation, and those type of sites can be placed on the national priority list through a process I'll talk about. Uh, and those sites that are actually listed on the NPL are subject to exhaustive federal funding if the funds are available now. Um, the the short-term group for the removal actions that are not on the NPL could be on a brownfields list for state action, but most sites are initially kept on a, a circular information system, CERCLIS, uh, -E CERCLIS, until they're closed. Now, CERCLIS is not the same as the NPL. CERCLIS covers many more sites. NPL is, the, is basically the worst sites, worst contaminated sites. Now, both types of sites are subject to private funding of cleanups, too. Uh, for a site to be listed on the NPL, and I'm explaining this because it relates specifically to the EPA proposal, the EPA uses a mathematical model called the Hazard Ranking System, or HRS. And the HRS uses a quadratic equation called the root mean square that's based on several factors, uh, which comes from a site investigation. And the factors are a chemical release, has there been an observed uh, spill, for instance, characteristics of that chemical, is it migratory or a sludge that just sticks, uh, is it volatile or not volatile, and target populations of sensitive environments impacted. How close are people in, in warehouses and factories and homes to the source of contamination? Or are there wetlands or endangered species sites or other federal and state protected resources in the area that, that could be affected by a groundwater and, and a vapor intrusion pathway? Then each of those three factors, chemical uh, release characteristics and populations are targets is given a score. The HRS, which is Appendix A of that Code of Regulation I just gave you, scores a site based on four exposure pathways. They are, number one, groundwater, number two, surface water, number three, air, ambient air, and number four, soil. Now, what the EPA is doing and soil was added about 20, 25 years ago to the pathways by an amendment to the National Contingency Plan. What the EPA is now proposing is to add subsurface intrusion that I'm calling vapor intrusion mm -hmm. as part of the soil exposure pathway. So pathway four, soil, will include vapor intrusion as well as soil and really incorporates groundwater. Uh, this proposal was motivated by a GAO report to Congress, that's the uh, Government Accountability Office, a report to Congress in 2010, calling the attention to Congress that the human risk from vapor in, uh, intrusion is not being assessed at contaminated sites. As a result, in 2011, EPA started an outreach program on amending the HRS to include vapor intrusion and that lasted several years, and then they, they proposed the rule. Um, so vapor intrusion will be another loop uh, 
a contaminated site must pass through. Uh, the HRS scoring is based on relatively limited data from uh, a site inspection by EPA and a preliminary assessment of that site. And, and now, if the rules finalize, that, that inspection will include some vapor monitoring add-on. If the HRS score with these four pathways, groundwater, surface water, air, and soil, can score sites 0 to 100. And not every pathway needs to have a positive number. It's the total score that matters. If a site scores 28.5 out of 100 points by an EPA inspector using the formula I just outlined, it is eligible through EPA rulemaking to be placed on the national priority list. That doesn't mean it will definitely be placed on the national priority list, but it's eligible to be placed on the national priority list. To be placed on this list, and there's currently 1,300 sites, and that number goes up and down over the years, uh, the EPA proposes listing the site in the Federal Register. Parties can comment on the proposal of a specific site. And if they list the site or don't list the site, that decision by EPA can be subject to judicial challenge. And EPA has a lot of discretion in interpreting the and applying the formula, which has a number of assumptions in it, because it is a formula. Mm -hmm. It's based on mathematical concepts. And, uh, and, and there's a famous case some years ago, Eagle Pitcher, in which the uh, respondent owner of the site that was being listed tried to challenge EPA's uh, listing and they failed on most counts because EPA has discretion. So uh, the site's eligible if it scores high enough on this uh, hazard ranking system uh, formula. Uh, it doesn't mean it's automatically subject to federal cleanup funds. It could be state and private funds used. And, and, and uh, uh, even if it's not subject to federal action and funding, it could still be a brownfield site subject to remediation and reuse. Uh, now, I guess an important consideration is whether EPA intends to reevaluate sites already closed or uh, uh, which didn't make the national priority list. EPA, in its questions and answers, says they don't plan to reevaluate sites already on or already proposed for the NPL and they will not systematically reopen closed sites or sites not previously eligible for the NPL unless some new fact comes to their attention. But it does mean that more sites will, would be potentially eligible to go on the NPL. Uh, now, of course, uh, going on the NPL means the site is subject to fairly exhaustive federal funding, but because Superfund dollars, which were based on a Superfund tax, that expired in 1995 are dwindling. The EPA has a lot to do with more limited funds. They still have funds. Mm -hmm. They still have cost recovery actions to get to get money back. Uh, they in, or earn interest on their funds, but uh, they have to uh, uh, be careful where where they step. Now I must say that uh, a similar issue occurred in the 1990s when EPA added soil to the hazard ranking right. uh, system. In 1986, Congress told EPA to expand the factors to make them more realistic and protected. And in 1990, EPA amended the National Contingency Plan and Hazard Ranking System to add soil. Now, the statute did not say 
they had to reevaluate sites. In fact, Section 105 of CERCLA said reevaluation was not required. Nevertheless, I personally know that they did. Back in the, in the 2000s and before, they, they did reassess sites. Uh, I'm familiar with one site in New Orleans, Agricultural Street Landfill, that didn't make the NPL under the older system, but when soil was added, it did make the NPL and was subject to a fairly extensive lawsuit that I was involved in. And, and similar, Capital Lake in Baton Rouge didn't make the NPL, but, but uh, it was reevaluated uh, in, in, 19, in, in late in 1990s, and it, 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 was, it, was, it scored over 28.5, but the state took over the action, so the EPA didn't list it. So historically, uh, EPA has reevaluated sites when the HRS was amended. Now, what they'll do with uh, more limited funding now, I don't know, but it's, it's still a question. Now, as to your, the last question of this series, right. you asked, asked uh, how many more sites will be listed to the NPL, it's currently 1,300, and I'm gonna read from EPA's question and answer number 10. It's on their website, and the questions and answers are an acronym ease, HRS, SSI, addition, frequently asked questions. But, but number 10 asks almost that same question you asked about what's gonna to happen to the list. Uh -huh. here's, what they, here's what they say, and I'm quoting from it. The HRS addition is not expected to result in either an increase in the number of site assessments per year or in the placement of more sites on the NPL per year. Rather, given current budget levels and the possibility of increased costs for an SSI site assessment, that's vapor intrusion, EPA may conduct fewer assessments per year. The pipeline of sites in each year, or in each EPA region each year of the country, will be reviewed and prioritized to identify those sites that pose the highest risk. This addition will not change how EPA currently evaluates and prioritizes sites for the NPL. EPA will now have an additional mechanism to address sites that pose the greatest risk. Well, that's a nice political statement, don't worry. We're here to help you. But <laughs> I, I just don't believe, given some time, that, they, that uh, additional reassessments and additional sites will be uh, added to the NPL as a result of the vapor intrusion Right, right. Yeah. And as you just mentioned in your personal experience that, you know, EPA has actually revisited um, listing sites um, as the as the rule has changed over time. So um, I want to get into a sort of a hypothetical where I actually uh, may have a leak from my underground storage tank or or, for example, I own a dry cleaners and I have a a plume beneath my facility um, that may be involved in some uh, potential contamination of neighboring sites, um, where would I turn um, for some guidance on this issue? Well, there's some guidance available, notwithstanding the proposed rule by EPA. Uh, the American Society for Testing and Materials International, which is a standards organization, they promulgate standards internationally and in the United States for many, many things, including environment. They have guidance on vapor intrusion screening. 
and that document is called E, E is for Environment, E2600-15. And they also have guidance in their Phase 1 Environmental Site Assessments for Vapor Intrusion, where warranted, and that document is numbered E152713. Now, most of the vapor intrusion is done statistically by those two standards if there are only remote sources of vapor around the site being acquired, uh, miles from a gas station or a shopping center, et cetera. If nothing's nearby, uh, the risk is often risked away by saying, if there's nothing nearby, there's nothing to travel on the ground. Uh, so it's not, they often do not involve monitoring. Uh, favorable conclusions under those standards would help uh, a landowner who's acquiring property, commercial property, or industrial property, through exemptions like the, clean, the innocent landowner exemption. Now, th these standards don't relate to how to clean up. Uh, they relate to who cleans up. So the owner right. may be innocent, the new owner, and, and excused from the cleanup, but that doesn't mean if, if some problem is detected, others wouldn't be liable. Now, the EPA has also issued guidance on vapor intrusion through their Office of Solid Waste Emergency Response and that's abbreviated OSWER, O-S-W-E-R, and that relates, relates to a risk from a release of hazardous substance through vapors, and that guidance was issued in June of 2015 on vapor intrusion, and that's what they call it in that document, not subsurface intrusion, that they call it in the, in the Superfund proposal. Um, so OSWER issued a technical guide for assessing and mitigating vapor intrusion pathways from subsurface vapor sources to indoor air. Now, the EPA model consists of sampling both indoor and outdoor air and groundwater. And for a complete pathway assessment, which means there is a risk present, EPA looks for a vapor source. Is there a gas station or dry cleaners mm -hmm. or an industrial plant nearby, a route to the building, uh, groundwater, uh, uh, some detection of contaminants in the groundwater, and indoor presence of vapors monitoring, and occupancy. Obviously, people in the building make the risk higher. Uh, and they have various analyses, preliminary and detailed, but the EPA considers in response to a positive finding of vapor intrusion, remediation, like the groundwater or soil, has to be remediated engineering controls like continuous monitoring in, inside or thermometers, mm -hmm. etc., and institutional controls such as deed restrictions on the uh, use of the building for residents versus industrial uses or whether the ground floor of a building can be occupied or not. And of course, those restrictions from institutional controls would be in property records. And there are some indoor air standards that are issued by EPA really in, the, in conjunction with the proposed rule, but EPA uses and consultants would use a variety of standards, including explosive hazards like methane and short-term and acute exposure. EPA uses background information, OSHA permissible exposure levels, and chemical-specific lower explosive limits. 
for instance, EPA has written up on the website for Superfund uh, for toxic toxicity levels for indoor air using what they call their Superfund Chemical Data Matrix or SCDM values for indoor air, and that could be as low as two to three micrograms, that's a part per billion, per cubic, cubic meter of indoor air, that's a nice size block, quote. Right, of, yeah, of yeah. For, for benzene, and three to four microns for TCE and PCE per cubic meter of air. Now, the new hazard ranking system for Superfund sites is not final, but it may adopt the OSWAR, OSWAR guidance uh, to evaluate data, but the OSWAR guidance is used to evaluate a specific threat, whereas the hazard ranking system is used to, as a screening device to decide whether a site is serious enough to go on the NPL or not. So there are two different purposes, but they interact. But I would tend to think that the uh, EPA guidance would tend to magnify or worsen the vapor intrusion problems in the eyes of regulators, um, because under the statutes the regulators work under, they try to prevent harm, not react after the harm has occurred. At least that's the goal. Right. That's Yeah, that's the goal. So what do you think, Stan, will become of this uh, proposed rule? Um, as we know, the proposed rule has been published in the Federal Register for about six months. Um, the comment period is it has closed. And um, the EPA has said that this will be sort of a mechanism to boost the number of options for states, the EPA, and uh, uh, Indian tribes to evaluate potential threats to human health through this new pathway. Um, any prediction on when the EPA will push this through as final? Uh, yeah, I got some information on that, and uh, my speculation is uh, the route when final will be more will involve more regulatory oversight and Superfund cleanups, as well as be a source for private litigation. Currently, we have various lawsuits around the nation for uh, mass tort issues like fracking, mm -hmm. natural gas and oil, and and possible groundwater contamination, norm or naturally occurring uh, radioactive materials for for workers in nearby. Homes uh, to uh, uh, oil and gas pipe storage, asbestos, which doesn't directly involve the type of indoor air pollution we're talking about now. And in Louisiana, we have legacy litigation for former oil and gas sites that uh, that have been worked for years, and now the owners are suing the oil companies for what was left behind. Um, Vapor intrusion will put an overlay on many of these types of cases. It certainly will call uh, mass attention to this relatively new pathway of vapor intrusion. And finally, per EPA's Terry Jen, and her name's in the Federal Register we discussed earlier for this new proposed rule, EPA will finalize its rulemaking to add vapor intrusion or what they call subsurface intrusion to the HRS in mid to late January 2017. I mean, they have their comments, the comment period is closed, but there's still some interagency coordination. Mm -hmm. And basically, they, they rewrote the whole uh, hazard ranking Appendix A in, in, the, in their proposed rule 
to add in vapor intrusion uh, as appropriate throughout the, uh, the document. So uh, it's coming. It's coming. And what it will mean, uh, who knows? Uh, federal funding may make its jump or splash in the water flow, but it's coming. Yeah, yeah. So interesting stuff that we have um uh like you said coming in at the beginning of the year in about six months so stan i'd like to thank you for being here with us again today um that's all we have on this episode of ehs on tap if listeners would like to follow up or reach out to stan in his expertise he can be reached at s m i l l a n s milan at joneswalker.com So thanks for tuning in to EHS on Tap. Uh, This episode was brought to you by BLR. We'll see you next time. Thank you.